We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Nate Lee. Nate is the current head woman soccer coach at Xavier University, former assistant coach at Miami University and also at University of Cincinnati, where I worked alongside him for for 12 months. Uh, I think Nate impacted me a lot more than I impacted him, I'm absolutely sure of that. So Nate has a reputation as being one of the top recruiters in the country, and rightly so. He is absolutely outstanding in that field, but it doesn't do him justice to just to, I suppose, categorize him as a recruiter. As you're gonna find out in this podcast, two things. Number one is that there's a lot more to Nate than just recruiting. And number two is that he sees the game through a very very different set of eyes than a lot of us do so that was that was my experience with him um, I, every day he challenged me he questioned my ideas he challenged everything about it um, philosophies ideas training sessions absolutely everything which forced me to um, be able to come in every day and and explain what I was doing uh, which was a very very challenging environment for me but made me a lot better so um, as you can see, Nate's very, very sharp, and uh, but he's also a great guy. So he does it in a way that he challenges people and players in a way that is very, very um, warm and approachable. So he's different class. I'm a big, big fan of Nate. Wanted to get him on the podcast, number one, to tell a story, and number two, for um, just to, to see how his philosophy has developed as a head coach. Uh, he's been a head coach for almost 12 months now, so this is me. I haven't spoke to him in uh in a couple of months so it was a good good catch up to see how everything's going with the new program and also then um you know to hear to hear how everything is is gone um since i since i left so i think you're really going to enjoy this again it's the value of an open mind it's the value of being humble it's the value of working hard and it's the value of doing something to a very very high level so um let me know what you think. Nate's not a big, big man on social media, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this here. And, and uh, I posted one of his clips, which is the advice piece at the end. I posted it last week almost as a little um, trailer for this here podcast, and it got a lot of action online. So um, let me know what you think. And always good to hear people's opinions. Always good to hear feedback. Twitter at Gary Kernin, Instagram at Gary Kernin, Facebook Coach Kernin, and then if you want to email me Gary at modernsoccercoach.com so always good to hear from coaches um, please help us spread the word of the podcast as always if you want a copy of the recent webinar I done on what makes an effective training session a little bit of philosophy behind all that there Send me an email, ask for it, no problem at all, and I'll send it out to you. Thanks for listening. Here's Nate. Nate, thanks very much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. It's great to be here, Gary. First one for you. We automatically think of uh, college head coaches almost as a traditional way of becoming a college head coach, becoming a GA and working 10, 15 years and becoming an assistant coach and going that direction, but... You opted to go into the business world as opposed to moving straight into coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Sure. I, I was one of those people that went to college not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and so it's it's funny when we talk to players now and they they say they're undecided at 15 years old and they feel like there's something wrong with them. And I always kind of follow up with, I didn't declare a major till I was a sophomore and really had no idea what I wanted to do until I took a class that I liked. I think if there were the opportunities now or then that there are now, I think I might've had a more direct journey to to coaching. Um, But back then, if you wanted to go into sports, there wasn't any 
alternate route besides the coaching route. And, and I kind of had a background in business. And so I went straight from college into the financial world. I uh, did that for two years. Um, didn't like it. Uh, didn't, didn't like what I was becoming. And so I spent two full years doing community service with a organization called AmeriCorps, um, which was an amazing experience. I learned a ton about myself, hopefully did some good work in the community, met some fantastic people, met my wife actually, um, was then knew I wanted to go into something different than business and looked into teaching, looked into educational leadership, um, dabbled around with what could I do with sports really couldn't find that answer. And so I went back into business, uh, which was supposed to be for a year while I, while I figured it out and it turned into four years. And, uh, I was on the, the cusp of, of just quitting my job and doing something completely new. I took my GRE. I thought I was going to go back to grad school. And then all of a sudden, uh, the coach that I played for Miami, Miami university, his name's Bobby Kramig called me and We'd had a few discussions about me wanting to to get into coaching, um, but I was uh, reluctant to go the GA route and all that stuff, having having come from the business world. and And he had a full time opening, yeah. and uh, Bobby took a chance with me, um, essentially having no coaching experience and giving me a, a Division One a full time assistant job. And I guess for that, I'll always be uh, very grateful. So, having been exposed then to the financial world. This is what I'm really fascinated about. What are the things that you've taken out of that world almost and implemented into your coaching? Yeah, I think um, the way my mind works and the the educational path that I took and, and the career that I was embarking upon was a lot of a lot of problem solving. Um, you would be faced with a, a situation and, and you had to kind of f- to figure out an answer. And um, sometimes you had to think outside the box and be creative. Uh, you had to be realistic. Um, there were there were timetables. You had to be beholden to another side um, because oftentimes you had a client that you were working for. And I think all those concepts um, can be applied to almost any walk of life or or, or job. But I think it very specifically, um, it, it definitely is applicable to to soccer and in the college side of things. And then if you even want to go more on the financial side. Essentially, we're managing a salary cap with our scholarships and our equivalency. So um, <laughs> that's what I did for for a bunch of years. And and so even you know as a young inexperienced assistant coach, I think I was kind of always charged with um, helping to decide the scholarships and and how that all worked together. How do you view risk in the coaching world? Like your idea of risk in finance financial world is a lot different from our idea of risk. So is it? Do you think it exists in coaching or do we understand it fully? Uh, as it relates to scholarships and, and recruiting or as it relates to the game model? The game model, well. yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I think I – in soccer now, there there's a, a fair share of analytics. Um, obviously, in the professional game, there's a ton, and I think it's trickling down into the college game. And, and analytics in general, the way I view it, is just – a measure of risk and reward and, and how to use your resources and, and how to protect yourself. And so even without the formal analytics that exist today, I think that's just how I always, how I always viewed the game. Um, and I think that's probably some people look down upon it because my view of the game is less romantic than the others. Um, I just kind of figure out or try to figure out how to be the most dangerous in attack and um, how to be the most secure in defense and how to, how to try to generate that attack with, with sending the, the least amount of numbers forward. And, and I'm always have in my mind how to protect ourselves, you know, in, in transition. Um, so whether formally or informally, I think that's something that, that I probably can't ignore just uh just the way I view things. Um, and I, th- I I think a lot more people are kind of approaching the game in that way nowadays. Mm. I always remember first, almost the first session I did that at Cincinnati in front of you guys. It was, you, you came to me afterwards and said, why do you put, I did like two cross and finishing 
exercises and he said why do you put why are the attackers always numbers up on the defenders and I had no answer for it <laughs> I didn't even realize I was doing it um, so is that is that how you know in terms of yeah I would I would view the game maybe a little bit differently than one of you did it but there's still a, a parts of the game that excite me the when you know like a clip from the 86 World Cup or the 90 World Cup is it is your do you view the game is it is it almost like beautiful mind that you see numbers or do you see well, imagination was, uh, as well in there? Or what kind of mix I is it? Well, I think I'm pretty compartmentalized in how I view the game. Um, like you, we, we support the best club in the world. So Absolutely. if I'm just watching a, if I'm just watching a United game, um, I, I watch it as a fan. I really do. Um, I, I, I like to, you know, like you, I, I loved gigs back in the day and Cantona and because how they could turn the game on their head and um, how they were just special uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to break down everything that Mourinho's doing or, or anything like that. I just, I just enjoy the game. Um, when it comes to me going out and watching uh, recruiting, so watching high school players, club players, or a college game, I think I, like, like you said, I probably strip it down to, to, to numbers or to binary situations. And, and that's why um, with recruiting, we have to go out there and, and we watch games for 10 hours straight and tons and tons of soccer. And I think a lot of people get fatigued by it. And, and, and I've never been that person. And, and people have asked me, how do you keep interest? And I said, well, I'm not watching the quality of soccer and, and all that. I'm just trying to figure out, can these players help our team? Um, how, how would they potentially fit in? What are their strengths and weaknesses? And I find that really exciting. Um, and in the same way, when, when we're watching film of our opponents, um, when we're in the fall season, trying to break down their their patterns of play and where they're vulnerable and all that all that stuff is is exciting to me. So I get I get excitement more from trying to figure out the inefficiencies or, or how we could be successful or how we could um, hide our flaws uh, than the fifteen pass combination you know that results in a beautiful goal. Yeah. We, I think there's a lot of the coaching community today are fascinated by people who see the game differently because I think the one criticism I have of coach education is that we're trying to make us all see the game through the same set of eyes or the same lens. When in reality, I think we'll get more value if there's more diversity in how we watch the game. Do you, do you think from going away from soccer and... and because your background is like you're a, you're a decent player, obviously. If you played Division One college soccer, and and so it's not that you've you've stepped into the game late. It's just that you've stepped away from it and come back. Do you do you see us as us as a coaching community? Have we become too ingrained in coaching habits? Ah, boy. Um, perhaps, perhaps. I do think it was to my benefit uh, that that I was away from the game for eight years because the game changed. And I think I would have been a different player having been brought up in this era versus, versus the prior one. When I, when I was playing, everyone played a 4-4-2 against a 4-4-2, and I was a deep sweeper, and, and those scenarios don't exist anymore. So when I came back to the game, the tactics were completely different. The training methods were completely different. The game had advanced. The coaching had advanced. And so I had to learn it um, from, from the, new, the new model, the new paradigm, versus what I was exposed to as a player. And I think that's sometimes the problem is uh, if, if someone goes straight into coaching after playing, their philosophies are largely based on the philosophies of their prior coaches, good or bad or indifferent. Whereas having some time away from the game and then seeing it new, you have to develop your own beliefs and philosophies and try to try to figure out why the game moved as it did and, and what your place is within it. So I started working with you in 2013. You were uh, you were charged with the director of recruiting role. Neil said, "Gary, where do you see this guy work? He's unbelievable." So you sent me away. I don't know if you remember this. You sent me to Michigan to watch a player. Uh, you sent me to watch a player that I thought was he was average in comparison to other players on the pitch. And the way home, all I could think of was. Oh, I don't know about this boy having me watching players that weren't even the best on the pitch. Because so I came into came into the office to argue, prepared to argue my case, and I had the five players, other players that I thought were better on the field. I had them with me, so I said to you, she was she was okay, but 
there were other players that were better than her, Nate. And you stopped me before you even gave me the names and told me who they were and where they were going. So my point of this is, do we waste too much time as recruiting by looking for the perfect player when we should be looking for, we should be a bit more intentional in what we're looking for? I thought the point of the story was going to be how much of a jerk I was. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's 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 for me to tell other people how to do their job. I guess I just always, I think, fell into. A I had a set of beliefs of what could be successful for the level that that our teams were competing, and then what kind of players would help us help us achieve our objectives. And probably had a good sense of which players were a little bit out of our reach. Um, so I always tried to get in with the players that ended up at UCLA or Virginia or Kentucky or Notre Dame. Um, but we didn't. I, I was just hopeful or mindful not to put too many eggs in that basket and have backup plans and have backup plans to backup plans. So I think. You you have to first have a have a belief in what your program's doing and what level you want to compete at and know what kind of players are needed to, to achieve that kind of success and then recruit players in that in that mode in that level. Um, so it's tough because if you get one player that's sort of above your level, it could change your entire program and can bring you to to a different stratosphere, but more often than not, you're going to strike out on those players. And then if you're lucky enough to get one, if, if they're much better than the, the rest of your squad, that could cause issues as well. The thing that, that impressed me with you was, was looking into the future almost to see it a play in two to three years time. So that would be that, that word that we, we love to use, but we don't really define potential. So what are they going to look like in two or three years time? Is that, is that one of the fundamental areas that that you look at when you're when you're watching a player yeah we try we try i mean right now um maybe these new recruiting rule changes will will adjust the uh the time frame on this but we're, when you're mostly recruiting freshmen and sophomores um you have to try to project what those players look like in two to six years because that's when they'll be with you and and as you know players get better get worse stay the same and and hopefully we're try to we're able to figure out which way they're going, um, and that's where you you almost have to feel like you're a private investigator and calling club coaches and high school coaches and figuring out what what the player looked like two three years before what their work habits are like how they train um, their genetics uh, all those things it makes it a, a pretty complicated puzzle. Mm. Uh, this is not a passive aggressive attempt at me to to bury all my uh, arguments that we had. <laughs> but another, another talking point. I'm sure you remember. There was a certain left back that we uh, that I was all over. Um, we argued about for months and months. I just thought her left foot was was the best thing since sliced bread. She was she had red hair, right? Red hair, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You were always on the apprehensive side, on the physical side of the game, the speed of which to play at Cincinnati. Um, with so much access to gyms and weights in college over the four years, how much difference do you think a player can actually grow athletically? Yeah, I, I think. I think there are three things that are very hard to change um, from the time you recruit the player to the time they leave you. And and one of them, I think, is athleticism. So I think you could make a player more fit, and I think you can make a player a little bit more stable uh, through their core and, and, and perhaps help with their balance. But as far as the ability to cover ground consistently, um, change direction, I think that's largely what you're born with, um, whether it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think the other two things that I've always kind of said that they are sort of are who they are, um, are competitiveness and timing. So when, when we talk as coaches in our office and say, well, yeah, that kid could get better. Um, those are the three things where I'm like, you're going to have to convince me that you could, you could fix one of those three things because because I don't necessarily think so. I think you could easily 
make a player more technical. I think you can easily um, teach a player a game. Obviously, some players understand it and absorb it better than others. Um, but yeah, athleticism, like you were saying, from and I remember her name very clearly. Uh, and and yeah. honestly, I'd love to go see what she's doing now. I have no idea. I followed uh, her stats the last four. She's all right. <laughs> she an all American? <laughs> no, she's a steady starter. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and that's that's the beauty because that player did have a cultured left foot, and she knew how to use it, and she was smart in her positioning. And, and there was a lot of attri- positive attributes. And I think that's just where, you know, I thought I had a vi- an idea of where we were trying to go at UC um, in a system of play and a style of play. And I struggled to see how she was going to, to fit into that. We talk when coaches are in front of groups of players, almost in these coaching events um, or recruiting events. And they're sitting in panels. We, we almost talk about recruiting in an idealistic term. You know, if a kid doesn't carry their own bag or if they're disrespectful to the ref or if they don't respond to my email, I'm not recruiting them. But do you really think we are, we really mean that or, or will we always just take the players that are going to be talented and score goals? I think we want to mean it, um, but I think it's more of the latter. I think we all get very seduced by players who can do things that most players on our current teams can't do and then are, are very willing subconsciously or consciously to, to sort of bend our own beliefs um, to, fit, to fit that player into the system. Um, I think on the flip side, though, geez, like it's very hard with these rules written as they are um, and how little you're actually able to be around a player before you have to make a decision um, and how young they are and, and sort of their own maturity paths. Like it's very, it's very challenging to say this, this player is going to have all the intangibles that you're looking for. Um, but to get to back to your original question, yeah, I think, uh, I think we, we all wish we would actually act yeah, yeah. In, in, within that belief system, but we'll always go for talent. When, when do you walk away? Is there a set of behaviors that you just will not tolerate at all? I think if, if I feel players being disrespectful to uh, players on our team or, or the coaching staff or our program, um, that's, a, that's a pretty indicative um, pretty good indicator that that they're going to have a hard time fitting within within our culture. Um, I think there's general ways that you there's a professionalism even at a young age that you should show within the recruiting process, and I think that goes towards us coaches as well that we have to make sure that we're living up to our side of the bargain. Um, we've walked away from a few recruits. Uh, you know, once in a while you'll see something on social media that'll just that'll make it hard for you to justify bringing them into your program. Um, but I think what happens more is if you get a red flag, it then causes you to ask more questions. And I think you know me well enough to know that um, a lot of times the way I try to make a decision um, is by asking questions of others, asking really probing questions of others. Um, and, and so we usually we're able to kind of figure out by, in the end if this is a player that's, that's for us or, for not, or not. I got a message this week, an email this week from a club coach, Lauren Mahoney, who's in uh, California, and she's looking. She was looking about what advice she should be giving her young players in the recruiting process, or how, as a club coach, she could help push or help you know in the process. What, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I think a general piece of advice for for players is to be um, consistent and proactive in their communication. You know, there's only that certain percentage that's lucky enough where the whole country is going to. To, to recruit them and make and, and and try to get them to come to your school, I think the the strong majority of how recruiting plays out is that a player starts the interest with a school and compels them to come see them play, and then um, stays on their radar, and eventually it works out. So I think don't wait for the the schools to come to you um, unless you're one of those special players. But I think if I had to give advice to a club coach. Um, and what they could do to help prepare the players is that the player has to stand out from the masses. So when I, when we go out and watch players, the first question I'll have for a coach that brings back someone that they think we should recruit is what does Sally do better than 90% of the people on the field consistently? And if, if the coach can't answer that in, in five seconds, then that's probably a player that we could cross off the board. So, and, and that oftentimes should be very 
functional to the position they play. And so I think within the development, mo development model, there comes a time where a player has to then start going into position-specific skill set and functionally train a few things that make them stand out from their peers. Um, so whether that's, you know, if you're, if you're in the center of the park as a six, whether that's heading the ball or ball striking, um, if you're in the attack, anyone who's clinical and finishing, you know, can shoot the ball with both feet, can do it when they're not totally balanced. There, there's stuff that you could do that, that, that in a recruiting conversation, you could say, I'm better than 90% of my peers because of this. That's a, that's a great advantage to have um, when you're sitting down with a coach. There's a lot of things I did. I made a the word culture is used today in sports a lot for, for good reasons. Teams obviously rise and fall by the strength of the, the players' characters that they have in it. Um, how do you gauge this? You mentioned how difficult it was with the contact time you have, but what ways do you go about gauging character um, in the recruiting process? Yeah, well, I think that's where... In a perfect world, you have a player come back to campus two or three times. Um, you could probably remember a couple examples of players that you see when they first walked in the office as freshmen. They, they didn't say a word, and you thought they were mute. And, so, and they come back a year later, and they're self-assured young women. Um, so the more that you could have someone around consistently, the better idea you, you'll have. Um, I think there's a certain measure of how, how they treat other people. So like you said, the, the, the examples of how they treat their parents when they're on campus or their siblings, um, how they interact with their coaches or their peers. And, and, I, and I have no problems with someone who's got a, who has a big personality, particularly on the field. But I think respect is something it, – it's, it's, a, it's a pillar of, of what we believe in here, that we treat each other with respect. So if you see someone um, acting out in a – in an inappropriate manner, it's just it's just going to rub you the wrong way. Um, yeah, I, I'm a I'm pretty much a feel guy when it comes down to personality, and I've been around enough players yeah. in the recruiting process that are really quiet um, when sitting down with an adult in front of their parents, uh, and then as soon as they get around their friends or or the life of the of the party, um, that you just have to to ask as many questions as you can and and hopefully have them spend time around the players and take your own players' input. Um, but that's a, that's a tough one to give a canned answer because I think in the end it's just a, it's a feel. When I was at Wingate, I always, I, I again, reflected, not at the time, but I always felt that I was trying to convince the kid so consciously, you know, like sales pitch. This is why you should come here. This is why you should come here, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I got to Cincinnati whenever we were bringing players in to meet with Neil. He... You know, that was a war zone almost, that meeting. <laughs> sure. like, he used it as a chess. One thing I learned, like I thought it was a great way of testing the player's ability to deal with the resilience that you would face when you walk in the door. So he would use that there as a almost job interview. Uh, would be putting it mildly, just a real challenging environment where he would challenge that player for 90 minutes um, in a in a one-to-one -one confrontation. <laughs> Um, where, where do you stand now as a head coach? How do you structure that there? Sure. And I think, I think the great thing about what Neil does at UC is it's, uh, it's opening the door into what a player would sort of be faced with for four years. You know, they're always going to be challenged and they're always going to have to stand on their own two feet and it's going to be hard and it's going to be grind. And they've built a, a legitimate culture around a lot of those things. Um, I think as a head coach, as you know, right, we have to interject our own personalities and beliefs into the into our own sort of recruiting conversations um the way i want to be as a program and I, the way i hope that the xavier student athletes now would would um describe our culture is that it's okay, so it's open um and hopefully we're all vulnerable with each other and i think it's based a lot on just honesty and and, and legitimate feedback and so we just finished player meetings with every player and the way we try to go into them as coaches is just give them the truth um, as cleanly as possible with as little emotion as possible. Um, and so when I talk to a recruit, I try to give them a very sincere sense of what they'd be experiencing as a player here and the goods and the bads. And, and you know me as a coach, right? I, I tell them right off at the beginning, I'm, 
I'm loud and, and I'm naggy and I like things certain, a certain way. And you're, you're going to be coached in that fashion. And, but on the flip side that we'll treat you with respect and we'll treat you as adults and um, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt and you'll be able to, to pursue what you want academically and that we're very mindful of your time. And so I think we lose, I've always said I'm better at recruiting the non top tier players because I'm not a, I'm not a salesman in the traditional sense. I'm not going to tell someone everything they want to hear. I'll certainly, you know, explain the positives of our program and of the school, but um, you want a player to walk in on day one and be like, yep, that's, that's about what we expected. And that's the coach was fair in the recruiting process. Do you think it's difficult? Do you think we, as coaches, I think I find I think I'm guilty of this here. I was guilty of this here, where we almost, you know, again we we sell or we we create a relationship, we build a relationship that is in one direction of um, getting the player to come to the school. But then when the player arrives, the relationship takes a different turn because you're obviously going to challenge that player and you have a responsibility to improve that player. And that that's not sunshine and rainbows. Some days that's that's going to be difficult. Um, do you think that gets misinterpreted or do you think that's a, do you find that difficult? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so even if you're being truthful, the tone of your relationship essentially is friendly and congenial and it's you trying to get the player to come to your school. And once they arrive, it's then, you know, certainly you're trying to help them with their career aspirations and, and being successful, but it's, it's also you trying to get them to, to help your team be successful and and that's usually in a pretty demanding environment. So I do believe that a lot of players get to college and said, whoa, whoa, you know, what's this about? Um, I thought you were just funny and laid back. <laughs> and so what I try to what I try to explain to players is, you know, hopefully I am you know, relatively laid back and, and easy to be around off the field. Um, and and I think, you know, I get my wife yells at me all the time for being too laid back about things, but on the field, it's business and it's always going to be business. And, um, I guess as I get older and more experienced, I'm less afraid to say that in the recruiting process. Um, so I, I'd say even as I get more experienced, the sales portion of it is probably going down, um, and the reality portion of it's going up so that that, um, dichotomy or whatever is, is, is lessened when they arrive. Yeah, that's that's an area that I would think. I think coaches, uh, club coaches, high school coaches could could possibly help the player out a little bit with a bit more of awareness of the role of the coach will change. You know, and I, I think we're always labelled as as college coaches to be. You know, you, you you don't care about me as a person because you're not giggling and making me laugh every day. <laughs> but reality, you know, I, I I mean, I'm I'm a parent. I want my son to go to a school if he does play a sport where the coach is going to, within reason of course, challenge, push, um, get something out. If I wanted to send him to somewhere where he's going to have fun and giggle, I'd probably save my money. Um, <laughs> right. is, that, is that an area that, you know, I, I suppose the, the connection between what college coaches want, um, do we just think it's, you know, are we just thinking, well, they want a technical player, but reality, it's the difference between a top player at the college and the average players are... Or characteristics, personality traits. Right. So, I mean, I think going back to that previous question, what I was thinking about is, you know, my role as I was an assistant coach for eight years and now I've been a head coach for about a year. When you're the assistant coach, a lot of times you do a lot of the recruiting and, um, and you're, yeah, you, you make a joke and you're trying to make a, a young, a young kid feel comfortable. Um, and so then when you get when they get to college, I think oftentimes that creates even a little bit more of the divide between um, a player with their head coach versus their assistant. Because I think as an assistant, you could still keep that role to some extent. You could still be the 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 more laid back, the funny guy, the nice guy. It's probably not me as much, but but you know what I'm saying. Um, and then there's the head coach who then just becomes this scary um, figurehead, and so. I, that's, I think, one of the dangers uh, amongst a couple other of, of assistant coaches doing too much of the recruiting um, versus the head coach 
is that it, I think it even creates even more of that like shock um, because the the recruit doesn't have that same personal relationship with the head coach that they might with the assistant. Um, but yeah, I think as it relates to players that are, have a pretty similar talent level um, and then who ends up becoming successful in college, I think it has so much to do with their ability to fail or how they respond to adversity, you know, as Neil would say. Um, the players that when things go poorly um, just look to blame others are in trouble in college. Whereas the players that when they when they encounter some um, some rocky some rocky water that they they buckle down and they try to get through it they ask for solutions they'll they're willing to work through those solutions um, those are the ones that over time will end up being successful in my opinion so let's talk about now just to, to finish it up about building your team. Um, talked a lot about recruiting there. What's the what's the what's the starting point for a, a Nate Lee team? Uh, we are in a lot of this stuff you're going to hear um, could be attributed a lot to Neil, um, to Bobby, the, the coaches I worked for prior. Um, both those programs were very successful, and so I'm smart enough to steal a lot of people's other people's ideas <laughs> and and language. Um, in the, in, in even tactical stuff. Um, but we, you know, what I told the team on the first day is hopefully we're the team that no one wants to play sooner rather than later. Um, that your 90 minutes with us is going to, is going to challenge you. Um, it's, it's going to put you in difficult situations. We're going to compete. We're going to make the field seem big. When we have the ball, we're going to make the field seem small when you have the ball um, and, and you're just going to be in for a fight. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to our, our team and our staff this year. And that I think we were able to accomplish that for the, for the most part. Um, I think we have to become deeper. We have to become more athletic. You know, you know, from back in the day, those are two things that I, I have a lot of, uh, I put a lot of stock in a lot of priority in is, is having a deep team and an athletic team. Um, we want to challenge the space behind the opponent as often as we can. And we want to play as much of the game in the opponent's half or defensive third as we can. And so I think those basic philosophies shape almost everything we do here um, from how we recruit to how we train to our sports science, to our messaging and our culture. I, I think that's something that I've always had a clear vision of is what kind of team I want to coach, um, how I want to play, how I want to try to exploit the opponent, how I want to protect our own team. And, and so that's, you know, we're, we're in year one of trying to, trying to get to the eventual objective. What was the first thing that you looked or you prioritized for an assistant coach? Um, I think if, if I could say two, okay. um, I wanted someone who could recruit um, because I know how important that is. And my personal life, you know, I have three little kids and I'm trying to be a good dad and a good husband um, while being a good coach and, and finding that balance, as a lot of people know, is pretty challenging. So I needed someone who could recruit. And then I think I needed someone whose personality uh, offset mine, complemented mine, um, who, whose brain worked differently, who could have different relationships with people on the team. Uh, on the team. And, and I was really, really lucky. You know, I was hired in the end of May and to try to find a coach um, in June when you, when you kick off the season in August is, is challenging. And, and I was lucky enough to come across Kelsey, um, who has done all those things and, and been a huge asset to our program. Again, going back to Cincinnati, lessons learned, developing the relationships with the staff, uh, plenty of meetings, plenty of debates. Um, do you follow the same kind of, is, is there a lot of meetings uh, <laughs> <laughs> or are you more like, listen, we're only meeting for five minutes because those ones at Cincinnati would sometimes last two or three days. Um, right. How does that work with building the relationships? Well, uh, if Neil, if Neil's listening to Neil's this, definitely listening to this I, lo I love you, sir. <laughs> um, but no one loves a meeting more than Neil. So I, I think 
what what I really appreciated about what Neil was able to do was um, I loved that biweekly staff meeting that that he. I think he ended up organizing that right as you were leaving, but every person that touched our, our program from marketing to academics to compliance, um, strength and conditioning, we're all in a meeting once every two weeks uh, to make sure that everyone's on the same page. And I thought that was brilliant. And I thought that helped our, uh, our program a ton. Um, one of the things I heard you talk about in one of the other podcasts was the sort of informal learning and meeting that we did, whether it was at lunch or or just out on the road. Um, hopefully that's kind of a culture we have here. You know, the more that we learn from each other, the better we'll be. Um, I think one thing that just kind of fits my personality is I really try to be mindful of everyone's time. So, you know, this spring, for example, you're allowed to use 20 hours a week with the team and we probably used 10 or 11. Um, with the coaching staff, we try to have weekly meetings on recruiting, weekly meetings on strength and conditioning, Blah, blah blah blah, but there's there's structure to it, and they try we try to keep them to whatever you know for the recruiting meeting thirty minutes for the strength for the sports science meeting thirty minutes um, and get in and out. I, I think we have a nice culture here where the coaches really like being around each other. We hang out socially, um, and we're we're always we're always bringing our opinions and then challenging our opinions. <laughs> I think. One thing I didn't really know about my personality until until I, I hear other people talk about it is sometimes I'm just inquisitive and curious, or I feel like that's what I'm trying to be by asking questions. And I think other people are like, man, what's his problem? Like, why is he asking me all these questions? And, you know, I think now that we've all got to know each other and just like, you know, you and I, um, once we kind of figure each other out, then it's, then it's just fun to have those conversations um, because we're all growing. Brilliant. Um Let's talk about training. What's what's prioritized? And you mentioned about the style of play. And I mean, what are your non-negotiables in the session? Uh, so one thing I picked up from you, Gary, oh, is hey. that yeah, yeah, the, the one and only um, <laughs> <laughs> is that um, the, the players come to us ready to go. So they do their own warm up, and then from the second that we're with them, we're coaching them. So we don't we don't ease into a session. Um, we might have a little bit of a natural progression from, you know, a passing pattern to possession or non pressured to pressured. But the, the second that passing pattern begins, um, I'm nitpicking, the coaches are nitpicking the details, uh, the intensity, the sharpness of it. Um, when we, another thing that I, I don't know if you still believe it, but when we're, we kind of separate everything from training. So if, if the players want to go mess around and, and, and have fun with soccer, we, we encourage it, but it's not, I, I tell them it's not going to happen on our clock, right? So everything that we do is serious, purposeful, um, intense, coached. Um, and even the sports science stuff we do is is separated outside of that. Um, we try to have everything be competitive. And I don't mean but competitive by we're not, um, we're not Carolina with, with charting everything and, and keeping standings. Um, it's just if we don't think you're being – you're going to attack a hard enough. You'll, I will say, Hey, that was soft. Um, and if, if a team's getting blasted, uh, I'll oftentimes keep going with the drill to allow them to get blasted so that they try to figure out the ways to when momentum's against them to, to come out of it. Um, like, like you said, you, you alluded to it earlier. I believe in a lot of true numbers, um, versus, you know, eight V four, um, I've, I've, I've always asked coaches, well, how is this helping us get better? How is this real? Um, when we get in those too many numbers up or numbers down situations. Um, so most of the stuff that we're trying to do, we're looking at real pictures and real numbers. Um, so for the, for the fall, there was a huge emphasis on competitiveness and then the, the tactical side of things. So triggers, transitions, all that stuff. Um, this spring, when we have more time and no pressure of, of wins and losses, we concentrated much more on our buildup, um, the phases of play, all, all that sort of thing, um, functional training. So I think our falls and our springs will look a lot different, but hopefully they're all purposeful in trying to get better in a certain area of the game. You mentioned last couple of questions. You mentioned about the challenge of the, the balance Getting the family, um, three little kids, 
you were, I always remember you were always on the phone in Cincinnati, but you rarely answered it when you arrived home for the night. Um, you were good about switching it off and, and like compartmentalizing your family life. As a head coach, do you still do that? I try. I try. So when I, you know, when we're trying to arrange phone calls with recruits, I put it in the emails to the, to the club coaches or whatnot um, to try to call me before 5.30 or after 8 o'clock. So I really, really try to block off that 5.30 to 8 time frame um, so that we could do dinner, bath time, bed, you know, really enjoy the time with, with Em and the kids. Um, and sometimes, as you know, like <laughs> that, that doesn't work for a recruit. And if, if the player is good enough um, and they call me at 7 o'clock, I'm picking up the phone. But I think I've made enough of an attempt to try to avoid that, that when when that phone rings and I'm like, um, I got to take this, she knows that I prioritize it to, to a pretty high extent. Um, and I think Emily has been great at living through it um, and allowing us to kind of figure out the right balance. And then I really do try to be mindful of, of shutting it off and, and being present as much as I can with the family for a few hours every night. Brilliant. Brilliant. Last question. Advice for a young coach that wants to, you know, get to the Division One level um, in every aspect of life, almost, you know, work and, and balance, recruiting, everything. What what advice would you give them? Yeah, and I've I've heard a couple people on your podcast give some great advice, and I don't think I really have anything better. Um, I think take chances when you're young. Um, be be willing if you know what you want to do. Be willing to work for free. Um, Identify people you want to be around as mentors um, and references and and be intentional about getting around them. Um, be intentional about expanding um, your network. And so if I was a young 22-year-old coach, I would work as many camps as possible. I'd go to the – I'd try to work the, the Penn State camps and the Notre Dame camps. Um, I'd go to the camps that have 50 coaches there and I wouldn't worry as much about hanging out till two o'clock in the morning uh, at the bar. I'd, I'd be more worried about trying to trying to have a beer with with a person that, that I can learn from. Um, and nothing nothing replaces work ethic, right? So all of us um, all of us at some point had to had to grind for, for probably less than we were worth, and and don't ha- don't let pride get in the way of that. Um, have, have a long-term view of where you want to go and then lay out the steps that would give you the best chance of getting there. Um, but it's all going to be about the people you know and what you're known for. So I think, I think coaches have to think about their personal brand. And if you asked 20 other coaches about Nate Lee, you know, what would they say? And, and my guess is at one point it was that he's a good recruiter and, um, you know, I've always thought that I, I, I have some other things that I'm better than that recruiting, but I think recruiting is what got me the job with Neil at UC. And I think largely what helped me get this job here at Xavier. Um, and so you have to have, just like if a player has to be able to quickly identify what makes them better than, than the rest of the players around them, I think us as coaches, we have to be able to identify where our skill set lies in comparison to our peers. Brilliant, brilliant. What a way to finish it. <laughs> I'm just, uh, just just spouting off a lot of words that don't make sense, probably. No, brilliant, brilliant. Nate, thanks very much for, for that there. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, we'll get you on soon uh, during the season, maybe, for a little uh, update. Yeah, and so then we could see uh, how all the stuff I'm saying doesn't actually work in practice, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first class, first class. Nate, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. You're the all best. Right, brilliant. Cheers. See you. Thanks so much to Nate for his time and his insight there. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, I think you can see what I was talking about before, that why I, he was such a big impact on my coaching career. Um, and especially when I was moving up a level to Division One, and I was coming from a successful time at Division Two, and I, I thought certain things would transfer automatically because they just would and Nate questioned everything I did every day uh, and it made me better because 
with him and Neil, every day, Neil done the exact same thing. So every day I went into the office, uh, why with this here? And I think what I learned from it, again, subconsciously as coaches, we make assumptions and we have bias towards thinking things work because they just do. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I had developed not bad habits uh, so much as just hadn't done enough depth uh, for behind the work I was doing and that went on the training field and that went into recruiting and that went into uh, relationships with players and how to communicate better and and on top of that there then uh, the, you know that was a big big part of my learning process at Cincinnati but on top of that there was the, the work ethic from Nate and Neil um, Nate was in at six o'clock every morning and he was leaving the office on the phone at 5 45 six o'clock to get home at six o'clock to turn his phone off so the, the work that he crammed in in 12 hours was it just took me like, I used to think I worked hard before I got there and and it was just again a different level a different level so for me it's great to hear how his philosophies have just developed um, and just not gone in a different direction but just added an extra layer to um, I think he is outstanding and I think I, again just to finish it off I think as coaches we we should be more open-minded for other areas and I think that's where coach education will go in soccer eventually eventually and as coaches we've got to be open-minded to every aspect of that there if we're you know, if we're telling our players to get out of their comfort zones and push beyond this or push beyond that or make themselves better then as coaches we aren't exempt from the same standard as well so um yeah let me know what you think of that always like hearing what what coaches feedback are and, and what parts of it that resonated with them what they like best so um please 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 before you, you turn it off please give us a a little bit of feedback twitter at gary kernin instagram at gary kernin Facebook Coach Kernine email Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Thanks as always. Don't forget, don't forget to leave a little uh, leave leave a little rating on uh, on the iTunes. Always helps. Just promote the word of the podcast. Still trying to get it out and uh, appreciate your support. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. For more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kerneen on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com